All right, everybody, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. want everyone to have the Word of God actually in their hands so you guys can follow along. And uh, in fact, if you would, as you get your Bibles, go ahead and stand. If you're home with us and you have capacity to do it, I would love for you to stand as we read the Word of God here in this moment. We're going to stand in the reading of God's word um, as we continue this series on Ephesians, just asking for God's goodness. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read this word over us. You can read it with me, and then I'll pray for us. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, I ask that you would take this incredible, spirit-wrought truth, and it would wash over us, and that we would leave this room emboldened by the truth of your word, ready to step into all that you are and all that you have called us to be. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Unlock. Bring it in, guys. Huddle up. Bring it in, guys. Father, everyone take a hand. Hail Mary, full, full of, of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Notre Dame, our mother. Pray for us! You all know what you have to do. Remember, no one, and I mean no one, comes into our house pushes us around. This is your game now, gentlemen. And 
for you seniors, it's your last one, so make it count. Because you'll remember it for the rest of your lives. I don't know, this, this is one of like a hundred movies that have uh, an example of uh, a coach or a teacher or a leader of some kind who gives some amazing speech to try to instill confidence in the troops or in the team or whatever. I, you know, and there's a, like a thousand of these I could have shown. I just I love, happen to love the movie Rudy. But, but there's like, you know, that coach is like, hey, we're going to get, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you fired up and I'm going to get you excited and confident about going into battle, right? And we see this in Lord of the Rings or we see it in Braveheart or any of these kind of uh, movies or features or uh, these kind of things that we get to see where people are getting ginned up and excited uh, confident to step into battle. And I remember actually in high school, so I, I, was a, I was a basketball legend, at least in my mind. I was a legend. And so, but what I would do um, to get pumped up before the games, because our, our coach, um, his speeches weren't always super <laughs> like, like rousing. So, but what I, would, so what I would do before games is I had a, um, a VHS tape of um, Michael Jordan. And the opening like six minutes of this Michael Jordan video was just him dominating people and to really great music. And so I would watch it and I would be like, I'm Michael Jordan, I'm Michael Jordan, I'm gonna do this. And I would get really ginned up and excited to get really confident, like I'm gonna be the best player out there. No one can stop me. And I remember doing this because when you're going into battle, you want to be and feel confident. And the truth is, we all want to feel that way regardless of whether we're going into battle. The desire to feel confident, like when you wake up in the morning to be able to step into life with a measure of confidence, we all want that. That's a desperate cry. We want to be confident. We want to be confident in our relationships. We want to be confident in our jobs. We want to be confident in our careers. And right now, there's this desperate sense for confidence in a world where everything has kind of been shaken and turned upside down, and there feels like more fear and worry and anxiety and doubt. And of course, even here in America, especially where, you know, you, you used to have at least the guarantee of public health. That was like, you know, almost a, a guarantee. We don't even have that anymore. And so we're in this moment where nothing feels very confident. Lots of things feel upside down, and we're trying to navigate this moment, and we happen to be walking through this time where there's not just the whole public health thing and fear and panic, but there's this uncertainty and unrest and all these polit the political fighting and all of this relational fighting, all of these things that are going on in this moment. And we're doing this in a moment where we really can't be outside connecting with people, but we're supposed to, as much as possible, be like inside, not able to be in public and being able to work and talk through these things. And we're going and, you know, we literally are walking out our doors. We're walking out our doors with masks in our hands. That doesn't feel super awesome and confident, right? I mean, every day is a little bit like, is this the day where I get the COVID? You know, is this the day like, or is this the day where I find out I'm around someone and then I've got to spend two weeks hiding from everyone on the planet? Or, you know, even if, if the media has just completely overblown this thing, right? And it's this, you know, this is this, this virus out there and it's really bad, but right, it's not that big deal. And so, but even if you were to happen to get it, it's still like this. Now I become the social pariah. Like, and every day we're having to fight through these different ideas. Every day we're having to manage 
a life that doesn't feel necessarily very confident. There's so many unsettling things. We just want this confidence. And what Paul is going to say here is, listen, no one needs to repent for wanting to step out of their door to wake up in the morning being confident. That's not the issue. That's not the problem. But what Paul is going to say, and I, what I, I actually like, and if, you just, if you'll indulge me, I think this section of text is the greatest pregame confidence speech of all time. I think Paul is making a declaration to the church about who they are. And he's saying, listen, you want to walk in confidence? I want to tell you how to walk in confidence. I want to show you what it means to be a person, a man, a woman of strength. But it isn't going to come in all the ways. In fact, all the ways that we typically look to feel confident, every one of them are sinking sand. And they're not a rock that you can stand on. Because the problem is not that you want to be confident. The problem is that we have this tendency when we want to feel confident to look inwardly, to look on the inside. And in fact, most of the teaching that you will hear being thrown or bantered about is, listen, you just need to find your strength within. You will find teachers and philosophers and just general people, books being written, and they'll say, everything you need is inside of you. If you'll just look in, you've got to tap into your inner self, and you've got to be true to yourself, that you'll be confident when you are true to yourself, and it sounds amazing. It sounds like, yeah, I can be confident if i just true to myself. And what Paul is saying is, don't go down that road. It leads to death. But he doesn't say, don't go down the road. It leads to death. Hope you can make it. He says, no, 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 no. There is a way. You can walk out of this building, or you guys with us online, you can walk out of your house with your head lifted high, wind in your lungs, ready to take on the earth. And it has nothing to do with you or me. And it has everything to do with the king of the universe. And that's what he's going to say to us. I want you to look where there's this what Paul's going to say is there, you have, in our old sin nature, there is a cry to try to look inward, to feel alive and confident. And that's what he says. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You're dead. These are the things in which you once walked. You followed the course of this world, and you're following the prince of the power of the air. That is this this little kingdom that Satan has tried to set up to destroy the greater kingdom of God. It says that's that spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So what, here's what Paul's saying. Man's inclination is to look inside to try to find strength. In fact, well, again, 
So much of the teaching is about looking inside, and Paul is saying, hey, this is a road that leads to destruction. It leads to death. This idea of self, of being self-centered, is ultimately a broken road. Now listen, it's not rocket science to say, for us to be able to take a step back and say, hey, Anyone that's self-centered, right, that you, can, you end up being a really horrible person, right? We can look back at all of the tyrants of history, right? You can go back, look at Hitler or Mussolini or anyone you want to look at, and right? These genocidal maniacs, these crazy people, tyrants, people who slaughtered thousands or slaughtered even millions of people, you can look back and go, they were incredibly self-absorbed. They were incredibly self-centered. They were incredibly proud, incredibly egotistical. And it's easy to look back and go, that's what a self-centered life can lead to. But hear this, more often self-centeredness make, can make us incredibly moral. Being self-centered can make us really straight-laced, right? Because if you look inward, if you need to feel good about yourself, if everything is about you, there's no better way to feel good about yourself. There's no better way to put people in your debt. There's no better way to get control over other people than to be a good person, to try to stand on the moral high ground. I, it, it's really important we need to hear this because this is the underpinning of what a religious spirit actually is. Self-centeredness actually drives people into being incredibly good people who try really hard, right? We can do acts of service, or we can be good kids to our parents, or we can be good parents to our kids, or we can be good friends, and all the helping we do isn't actually for them in any way. It's actually for us. You aren't doing it for their sake, but we help people or we're good or we're nice for our own sake. We're helping them so that we can feel like we have a meaningful life, that the way that we'll get control or the way that we'll feel good about our lives is that we're saying, hey, we're doing all these great things for people so we can feel like we're a good person. And a lot of, the t a lot of times this self Righteousness, this self-centeredness drives us into even religious activity where we can say, well, I pray and I'll, I'll fast or uh, I'll, I'll obey. I do the Ten Commandments. I, I, do, I do the church thing. But at the end of the day, what we're actually doing is we're doing it for ourselves. There is, listen, there is a moral way of living that has nothing to do with the king of the universe. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus at all. And it wants to creep in this religious spirit to say, ooh, you do good so you can feel good about yourself. You can be confident because you served in this way or you did this thing. And I'm telling you, it is a faulty, scary trap to fall into. That self-centered thing that Paul is describing where we look inside and we do the thing that makes us feel like we have worth and value. If I show up to church and if I 
serve in these ways. And if I do these things, then I feel better about myself. And church, the minute that it becomes feeling good about ourselves, it's not about Jesus and it's not about the gospel. It's about ourselves. Martin Luther, uh, one of the great reform, I mean, the great reformer, who really allowed, I mean, to open the door for us to be able to have access to the word of God for ourselves. Uh, and I'll just paraphrase this, but he says, sinful human hearts seek to use all things, even God, for their own sake. But, he says, how do you know when you're doing it for yourself and not for God, even the good religious things. How do you know? He says, but when things don't go well in your life, when God isn't answering the prayer the way you want him to, then all of a sudden you're like, I'm out. I've lived so well and I've tried so hard and I've done so many things. Why isn't God coming through for me? When those things rise to the surface, it's a great opportunity for us to begin to ask the question, are we doing the God thing for him? Or are we doing it for ourselves? It's an open door. I mean, I'm telling you, I was a little, even as I was studying this a little bit, I'm like, hey, I'm getting exposed a little bit here, feeling like, hey, what are the deep motives in my heart? Where are they coming from? I mean, that's one of those, it's a very scary place. And what Paul's going to say is, hey, listen, all of that self-righteousness, all that self-centeredness, doing things to make you feel good about yourself so that you can walk in your own self-ginned up confidence ultimately makes you miserable. Because it's the same road that led the devil to become the devil at the end of the day, right? C.S. Lewis, he wrote a lot about self-centeredness. It's so good. And of course, if you've had a chance to read him, you guys that are with us online or wherever, just if you've read C.S. Lewis before, he talks a lot about self-centeredness and the, tr and the absolute misery that comes from it. And he says, he literally says, self-centeredness is actually hell. It's so miserable and agonizing it's hell begun in you that will eventually take you to hell. It's hell started up inside here because it doesn't have anything to do with the king of the universe. You can be doing good religious things, but it's not coming from the right place. It's self-centered confidence. And so this self-absorption and conceit it keeps us always thinking about ourselves and how do I look and how am I feeling and how are people treating me and am I being treated fairly? And when those are the predominant questions, it's leading to a place of death. That sinful inclination is leading us to where we think we, we feel like we're in control and that the only way we can actually be confident is if we're in control. And we tend to ask these questions, and what Paul's saying is just like the devil, you want to control your life. You want to have authority over your own life. He's saying just like the prince of the power of the air, 
that spirit that's working, the sons of disobedience. You want to be your own king. You want to be your own God. You want to be your own savior. And it leads to misery and death. And so the question then becomes, well, then how and where can we be confident? In this moment right now, in this weird and crazy world we are living in, how do we become confident? And Paul says, let me tell you, let me tell you where your confidence is going to lie. Not in you, not in your ability, not in your goodness, or even in your serving. And believe it, listen, the Lord has called us to goodness and he's called us to serving and he's called us to love people and he's called us to ministry and he's called us to so many things. In fact, well, it, he finishes this portion talking about that. But it's not going to come from the place of self. It's gonna come from an, a, a completely and other different source of life that will live inside of you. It's not in your choices. It's in God's electing merciful goodness. And this is where it all comes from. So this is what Paul wants to scream from the mountaintops. As I, as I read this text, verse four is like the coach coming in here and I getting super fired up. And he's going, you were headed down this path where you were looking inside for confidence. You were looking inside, doing the things of the flesh, doing the things of the mind that made you feel confident, that made you feel alive, that made you feel happy, but totally made you miserable. But God, rich in mercy, totally made you alive. You were dead. You had no path. You had no way. You had no chance. But God was so good. He looked on you. And he, here's what it says. He grabbed you. And by his grace, he saved you and ransomed you. And he gave you a future and a hope. And here's what it says. It says he raised you up. And he didn't just raise you up out of that dungeon, that grave of misery, but he seated you with Christ in heavenly places, sitting with the king of the universe. Do you understand how powerful that is? And I love, I was, as I was doing research for this, I'm reading some things that Tim Keller had written about this, and he's just talking about the verb tense. You know, when you get into these things, you can kind of start doing something. You can kind of get into the weeds of this stuff when you're doing study. And But Paul's talking about, or Tim Keller's talking about how important that verb tense here is because the tendency is to want to, to, want to say, I will be raised with Christ. Is that what it says? Or God will raise us up with Christ. Or he will seat us in heavenly places someday. That's not the verb tense. That's not what it says. It says God raised us up and he seated us in heavenly places with him. Meaning it's already happened. So that the confidence in life we live in has nothing to do with us and Everything to do with what Christ has done for us and in us, who he is. We live out of this 
place. We have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Not will be, have been. Not will be, but have been. This is is so important. We have been seated with him. He's saying like that coach, right? Don't stay in the dungeon of self-worth. Don't stay in the dungeon of self-centeredness. Understand that there is a fresh, brand new source of confidence over your life. And it comes from the fact that when the Father looks on you, he sees the glory and majesty of his Son. And you and I, right now, today, no matter how bad your struggle has been this past week, month, or year, you sit enthroned with the king of the universe. That's who you are. So that when you and I wake up in the morning, we get to wake up full and alive in confidence. Not because of how great or how bad we were the day before, but because when I wake up, I stand under the fresh mercies of God that are new every morning. I stand in my position as one who has been raised already with Christ and seated with Christ in heavenly places. That is who I am. So that when the naysayers come against you and when the people speak ill of you or when the enemy is whispering his lies saying you're not enough or you can't make it or you'll never be that or you'll never be able to overcome or the authorities are coming against you in some way or it doesn't seem like the road ahead has any way you have any way to get through it Jesus says you don't have to worry son or daughter you're seated with me in heavenly places trust me each and every day and I'll meet with you I, I um, we'll finish with this little story or just truth about me I like to get uh, I'll get gift cards I ask for gift cards for birthdays or Christmas I'll get gift cards and I'll collect these gift cards but I just like collecting the gift cards. I don't, I I almost never use them. And I like the idea of thinking about what I could get, but I don't ever actually, I don't ever actually, (laughs) I'll just sit on these gift cards for months and months and years at a time. I literally have gift cards for years. It's like, you have the gift card, you're thinking about what you could get. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this would be so great. And I won't actually go get the thing because I like having the gift card. Listen, most of the church, we're living with the gift card. God has done this amazing thing for us in Christ and we're holding on to it, but we're never actually cashing in and seeing and living out of the benefit of what Christ has done. Don't live gift card Christianity. Do not live gift card Christianity where we know and we have all the great things, but we don't ever actually go cash it in and start living out of what Christ has done for us. Living out of that confidence. You guys stand with me. I had on a whole nother half of this message and I never get to it. Just forget it. I'm just, we're just gonna make this series like 50 weeks. I don't care. All right. 
And so we're just gonna finish worshiping and saying, hey God, it might look like I'm surrounded, but listen, my confidence is in the fact that you're over and around me. I'm not standing under the weight of what the world might say. I'm living out of the confidence this morning that you are for me and not against me. You're with me in my business and you're with me in my family and you're with me in my marriage and you're with me with my kids and all these places where we might feel like we don't have confidence or we don't know the way. Christ knows the way. You and I are seated with him in heavenly places. He's ready to speak. He's ready to lead. Let's believe and walk in that reality. Let's sing this.